All right. Well, we will go ahead and get started today with our Sunday school lesson. We're continuing, uh, as we have been, in the book Councils and Thoughts for the Spiritual Life of Believers by Thomas More. And we are in the second part of that book, part two. If you'll recall from last week, we just got kicked off, or I guess it was two weeks ago, we got kicked off with part two. And um, the second part of his book is dealing with uh, the spiritual conflict in the life of the believer, the ongoing conflict uh, that the believer uh, has to uh, undergo with indwelling sin. So we'll be covering chapters 4 through 7 today, and as we start in chapter 4, we'll see there's a bit of an overlap between some of the things that we talked about last week and what we're talking about this week. In fact, I I think it'll become clear that since we're continuing in this second part, talking about the conflict within dwelling sin, that that obviously is the theme of all of the chapters in this section of the book, and more is just sort of, you know, navigating and uh, unpacking, unfolding, you know, more and more concepts that fall under that theme. So starting off today in chapter four, like I said, we'll cover a few of the things that we already talked about last week, but it's a good reminder for us all. Uh, They were good points, certainly, uh, for us to pay attention to. So starting out, we talked a little bit about how the conflict with indwelling sin for the believer is a continual, lifelong conflict. It's not something that we experience every now and then or you know, only as a new believer, and then eventually we don't have that conflict anymore. It's something that's part of the life of the believer uh, throughout this life. We also talked about the reason for that being that we were originally born in Adam, we were born in the flesh. We have the corruption of sin from the time, you know, uh, you know, as long as we've been in existence. And then at the point of being saved, we are regenerated, we are filled with the Holy Spirit, and we are made a new creation. And over time, God is sanctifying us, helping us to grow in holiness and faith, but that sinful flesh is, has not gone anywhere, it's still there. So now you have this sinful flesh and the spirit that are at war with one another, and as long as the two are both present, you're going to continue to have this conflict, which means we will continue to have this conflict until the sinful flesh goes away. Whenever we finally are resurrected unto new life and glorified before God, that's when we will finally be over with the conflict. But until that point, the conflict goes on, and it doesn't do us any good to ignore that or suppress our knowledge of that because if we're not aware of it then we're you know sin is still active within us and if we're not fighting back against it we're essentially letting it have its dominion so anyway just a few words of intro there so let's let's read what Moore says here in chapter four he says the christian life is one of continual conflict from its commencement to its close there is no hope whatever that it can be otherwise That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and never can be anything else. 
it continually wars against the spirit, so that oftentimes, as the apostle saith, when I would do good, evil is present within me. Again, he's just reinforcing this concept that the conflict with sin, you know, we, we feel it, and at times we can be very discouraged that we are struggling with sin, but it's a good reminder that this is the lot of the believer. It's normal. It's not a, an abnormal thing to be struggling with sin. It's a part of our everyday lives. We read last week the passages from Romans chapter 7, which are some of the most or some of the passages that deal most clearly with this struggle with sin. And that's where the Apostle Paul, a believer who is very faithful to God, willing to undergo great suffering on the account of the gospel, we see there that he is still struggling with this conflict with sin. I don't know about you guys, but I'm really thankful that Paul wrote chapter 7 of Romans because it's it's encouraging to see the Apostle Paul going through the same things that we have to deal with every day and that can be very discouraging. But just an excerpt from that, Paul says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, and that, you know, the, the inner being that has been regenerated by the Spirit. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. That's the concept of the flesh that Paul continues to refer to. So you've got the spirit in your inner being delighting in the law of God, wanting to do what's right, and yet you still have the corruption of the flesh that continues to cling to you that wages war against that desire to, to do what's right and often wins. We also talked a little bit on last week about the purpose of this conflict, or at least one of the main purposes of the conflict, and that is to bring us to a deeper fellowship with the Lord and a greater dependence upon the Lord for help in this battle against indwelling sin. Moore says here, The very lusts we abhor do serve our best interests when they cause us to look more to him to Christ, he's referring to in that instance. Thus they are among the all things that work together for our good by keeping us in our proper place and exalting the Lord. Going back to last week, we continued, we read Romans chapter 7, but we also tied that into Romans chapter 8, the, the continued discourse from Paul, where Paul takes a similar tack to what Moore does in the book. He reminds us you know, after addressing the issue of the conflict with sin, he reminds us that as believers, we are in Christ. We are not under condemnation for sin. And Paul, throughout chapter 8, gives us great encouragement in that. He, he reminds us that you know, having been saved from sin, the Lord is raising us to newness of life. He reminds us that we are dependent upon the Father, and we can look to the Father. Indeed, we cry out to the Father for help, and we long for that time when we will be with the Lord in our glorified bodies. So we see that this conflict with sin actually drives us to a, you know, a recognition of who we are 
as Christians, our position in Christ, and also drives us to calling out to God for help with the battle against sin. A couple of verses there from Romans chapter 8 and verse 23, Paul writes, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. There he's talking about how we are you know, longing and groaning for the time when we will be with the Lord and we will no longer have this battle with sin that we have to endure for the current time. Skipping forward a little bit to verse 26, he writes, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And of course, this is what Moore is referring to when he mentions that even the lusts that we abhor are among the all things working together for our good. God in his glory even uses our sin to bring about good in our lives when it leads us to repentance and leads us to coming before the throne of grace and looking to God for help. Then again, we'll touch on this a number of times today, but the the question that eventually is asked is, well, how do we obtain victory over sin? And every time Moore gets the opportunity, he, he answers that question uh, very definitively. He says, The believer will do well to bear in mind that he has within him every vile lust in principle. When these things show themselves within, the way of victory is not to try to hush them. The only way of victory is to bring them to Jesus. This is the sure way of victory and the way to experiencing the sympathizing fellowship of our Lord. Indeed, the only way that we can obtain victory over sin is through Christ. This is something that we have to keep in mind. We know it to be true, but we so often tend to forget it and not actually carry this knowledge over into our practice. But certainly when we are struggling with sin, we should always remember first to take it to Christ because he is our way of victory over that sin. And we know that Christ you know, is a faithful high priest for us as we read in Hebrews chapter 4 starting in verse 14 since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens Jesus the son of God let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is probably one, that, you know, a verse or a passage that we need to print out and put it above the door or something as a constant reminder um, for us every time we're dealing with the struggle with sin, that we do have Christ who it says he is able to sympathize with us. 
even though he is without sin, he sympathizes with us, and we should go before him, before the throne of grace, with confidence, because we know that he is sympathetic to us. He indeed will help us in this battle. So going into chapter 5, chapter 5 is titled, To the Believer Concerning the Importance of Encouraging the Habits of the New Nature. And what we can see here is that Moore begins talking about the, the habits of the new nature. If you recall from the book, when Moore talks about the old self or the new self or the old nature, the new nature, what he's talking about is you know, our, our former nature, our, our former character prior to being saved, where we were walking in unrepentant sin versus the new self with the new nature that has been born again, filled with the Spirit, and now is you know, not only forgiven of sin, but growing in faith, growing in repentance, growing in all of those graces that God um, gives us in our lives. So just keep that in mind when he's talking about old nature versus new nature, old self versus new self. And what he talks about in this chapter is particularly what are you know, habits of the new nature, and his, you'll see pretty quickly where his focus is. So let's read what Moore says here in chapter 5. He says, If you have not continual enjoyment of the love of Jesus, it may be because you are not as yet sufficiently taken up with him. To be fully taken up with Jesus is the result of increased knowledge, increased experience, and also of habit, for the new nature has its habits as well as the old. If you would successfully mortify and overcome the evils within, you must not contemplate them, but look away from them to Jesus, to Jesus always. If you would overcome trials from circumstances and persons around you, you must not be absorbed with them, but look ever to Jesus, always to Jesus. Here we see more is bringing out this, this truth that if we want to have victory over the temptations that are in our lives or the sins that we continue to commit, our focus cannot be constantly upon those sins or upon those trials or upon the temptations. Our focus needs to be upon Christ because he is our help in time of need. If we're only ever obsessing over the, the areas where we fall short, we aren't, we aren't taking that next step of going to Christ in repentance, confessing those sins, and then seeking his help to, to mortify those sins. That's really what Moore is trying to drive at here. And I think we can understand it because we all get, we've all been stuck in that cycle before where we feel such discouragement over our sin that that becomes our sole focus. We can't get our mental energy off of that. We, we spend so much time thinking about it that we could be spending in prayer and going before the Lord and asking for help or, you know, after that, taking action to actually mortify these sins. In John chapter 6, Jesus uh, said that 
It says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So we know Christ is our source of spiritual nourishment. I think this is what Moore is getting at here, is that we, we cannot cut ourselves off from that spiritual nourishment and expect to have strength for the battle against sin. We need to make sure we are continuing to abide in Christ in order to have the strength to, to fight against sin. Moore continues, An all-absorbing affection allows no rival in the heart. It rules there continually. It raises a barrier against every opposing influence, and though such opposing influences may at times be very trying, yet the heart is not much moved by them so long as the all-absorbing affection continues to rule within. So, when Christ dwells more fully and more consciously in the heart of the believer, that heart is well guarded against every opposing influence. This is another reason why Moore is encouraging us to continue ever to look to Christ, because the more consumed we are with affection for Christ, the more our hearts are full with affection for Christ, the less room there is for these sins to come in and gain dominion or mastery over us. I think it's a, an easy analogy to understand, right? There's only, only so much room for our affections. Our, our affections are finite. If we're pouring out our affection upon Christ, we leave little to no room for affection for, for sin. More also says, if you would have Christ dwell more fully in your heart, it can only be by more faith in him, by looking more to him, and thinking more of him. Think more of his goodness, his love, his faithfulness. Think of what he has done for you, and as doing, and is doing, and has promised to do. You've probably experienced this uh, as well as I have, how w when you're feeling great anxiety over sin, or, or anything it, for that matter, as soon as you start to, you know, as soon as you take your mind off of that and, and start thinking upon Christ, you start praying, uh, start thinking upon Christ's goodness, his, his, his majesty, um, all that he's done for us, the, the anxiety starts to, to fade away. And it's not for no reason. You know, Christ is, has done so much for us that if we would just think upon that, a lot of times it, it removes that frustration, discouragement that we feel when we're um, dealing with sin. And, you know, this is truly where our affection sh should be. As Jesus said himself in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I thought this was a, a really good encouragement that Moore had, um, e even maybe a challenge you might be able to call it a challenge. I, I felt challenged when I was reading it because, you know, thinking about what would it look like to truly be consumed with this love for Christ that is, you know, it's so consuming that it's constantly, you know, guiding your thoughts. It's constantly guiding your actions throughout the day. Um, I think it's something we all should strive for. Um, and certainly, you know, as we progress in sanctification, we hope that we're we're growing in this particular uh, area. But 
um, I don't know, it, you, you may have had similar experiences where it's, what he's saying here is clearly true. Uh, putting our minds upon Christ is far more fruitful a lot of times than worrying over all of the, the sins or even just the trials in our lives. And so we'll continue on into chapter 6 and 7. I've got them merged a little bit. They go really well together. They're, they're covering some of the same points. So we'll talk about both of them at the same time. But the, the titles of those chapters, chapter 6 is Concerning the Evidence and Effect of More Grace. And chapter 7 is To the Believer Concerning His Dealings with Evil Self. So to start off with, more, uh, he gives us uh, <laughs> uh, another insight into what Christian sanctification looks like and uh, how it actually can cause some discouragement in the Christian's life. This point here, we'll read, and I'll just look, you know, read Moore's words. The deeper the work of grace, the more opposition will it usually encounter in the heart and the inward evil will generally become more vividly realized by the believer. So the point that Moore is making here is that as we grow in grace, we tend to more or see our sins all the more clearly. And that actually can be a form of discouragement because as perhaps a new believer, we were aware of our sinfulness, but not as aware as we are as we progress through sanctification. As we continue to, to grow in grace, we, we see more and more our sins. It's, it's sort of a similar concept to that old saying that, you know, uh, you know the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. I, th- I think it's a very similar thing here. Uh, the more you grow in grace, the, the closer you are in your fellowship with Christ, the more you see just how sinful you really are. I've divided up a, a few of these sayings similar to what I had done last week in one of Moore's chapters. Uh, again, he, he does a great job just sort of repeating the same form of phrase over and over again, and it's very effective, but he just gives us examples, practical examples of what this looks like. He points out that the more we have of the grace of faith, the more we know and mourn over our own unbelief. The more we grow in faith, the more we realize how, how little faith we have. Um, he says the more we have of conformity to the image of Christ, the more we know and mourn over our lack of conformity. The more we have of the grace of self-denial, the more we know and mourn over our selfishness. Isn't that true? As we grow and, and become less selfish, we actually start to see more and more clearly just how selfish we are in all the areas of our lives. And then he also says, the more we have of the grace of love to Christ, the more we know and mourn over our lack of love for Christ. Indeed, by this means we grow in grace, because thus we more fully know our great need of the Lord Jesus, and are led to look more humbly, confidently, and helplessly to him to whom we can never look in vain, for nothing draws so abundantly from his fullness as a helpless, trusting heart. Isn't it beautiful when we see the way that God works in our sanctification to help us to grow in grace, 
that in turn causes us to see more clearly our sin. That in turn causes us to become even more humble and dependent upon God and to draw even nearer to Christ. And that in turn results in us growing in our sanctification even more. It's, it's like a, almost like a cycle that Moore is describing here. It, it really is a, a beautiful thing that the Lord does in our lives. He also makes this good point. He says, This fuller growth will be, or will but the more show us how far short we come of reaching unto a full conformity to his image, Christ's image. The nearer the light, the more visible are the imperfections, and it is the characteristic of a growing state of grace not to see its growth, but to see more clearly its shortcomings. I like this point that he makes, that Christ is the light of the world, in him there is no darkness, and as we draw nearer to the light, our sins become only the more exposed, the more evident to us. More also, though, makes this point, and this segues into chapter 7, really, uh, it kind of starts in chapter 6 and goes into chapter 7, that you know, it is actually a characteristic of a, you know, a growth in grace that we actually tend to to start paying less attention to the growth sometimes and paying more attention to the shortcomings, to our lack of growth. So, you know, many times as believers, we feel great discouragement when we see our, our sin and see how little progress we're making in mortifying sin. But Moore's reminding us here that actually a lot of times that's evidence of sanctification. That discouragement is coming about because God is conforming us to the image of his son. He's renewing our minds after his word, and that's causing us to see. It's not that the sin wasn't there before. It's that now we're seeing it more clearly. So Moore's, um, he cares a lot about this. He says, care, however, is needed lest in the midst of failure we become so absorbed with the evil self and so occupied with its changeful but always saddening manifestations as to forget that Christ is still and always our strength for combat and for victory. That is a most unhealthy religious experience which is continually occupied with self, evil self, the old self. True, it may be hated intensely, but we may, to our great discomfort, be too much occupied with what we hate as well as with what we love. What Moore is saying here is that we can become overly obsessive with the presence of sin in our lives and its victory over us. We, and this can actually be harmful. It is good to hate our sin. It is good to be on guard and on watch for our sin we should you know if we're repenting we should be you know humble um, we should be abhorring the sin that we see in our lives and then turning from our sin and to Christ in faith I think the problem here that more is bringing out is that a lot of times we get to the part where we we see our sin clearly we we hate it we abhor it but we sort of struggle to make that next step in forsaking the sin and turning to the Lord in faith and walking in holiness. We, we get caught up in that 
point where we're so broken over our sin that we 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 fail to to move past that to complete the the repentance there so again more reminds us what do we need to do when we're in that situation when we're caught up in uh, sort of the navel gazing sometimes of you know looking at our sin and feeling broken over our sin and not not knowing how to deal with it well we can look in first timothy chapter 2 where paul says you then my child be strengthened by the grace that is in christ jesus this is where more tells us to look he says all of each grace is in immeasurable fullness in himself that's christ as the example and source of supply to his people so that to have more strength in each grace we must have a closer intimacy with our lord jesus in all the walk of life Again, Moore's answer is when you get to that point where you don't know what to do, uh, when you're frustrated and, and, and you feel like you're stuck, look to Christ. It's the same answer that we've been talking about you know, over and over again in this book. We look to Christ. We, we look to him for help. We go to him in prayer. But also, if we desire to be conformed to the image of Christ, where else would should we go to to try to better understand how to do that and how to accomplish that than to go and look to Christ. We can pick up God's word and read about Christ. We can read his words and get great encouragement from those. We can see what he's done and try to imitate that. Again, we have to remember that because it's, you know, sometimes it sounds silly, but we've all been there. We all get stuck in that point of being frustrated and feeling like we don't know what to do. But that is always the answer is to, to go to Christ Christ himself says in in the gospel of John uh, chapter 15 verses 4 and 5 he says abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine neither can you unless you abide in me I am the vine you are the branches whoever abides in me and I in him he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing it's another one of those that we might want to print out and, and, and keep somewhere highly visible. We, we need to be abiding in Christ if we desire to bear fruit. If we want to grow in holiness, we have to be abiding in him, continuing to walk in fellowship with Christ and closeness to Christ. If we're not doing that, we can't expect to bear fruit. We're cutting ourselves off of our source of spiritual life in that case. So then at this point, sort of towards the latter half of chapter 7, Moore takes a little bit of a turn, and, and he starts talking about the action piece, the you know, sort of the answer to, okay, well, what's next? What, what do we do? And I, I like the wisdom that he shares here. I do think it's good wisdom. Let's, I'll go ahead and read it, and then we'll, we'll talk about it a bit more. He says, This old self, the evil self, must be mortified continually. The path of spiritual wisdom and profit is to do or bear with alacrity and quietness whatever the evil self dislikes in the clear path of duty. If evil self dislikes certain engagements or associations to which duty may call in the service of the Lord, be sure you do not shrink from them, but readily and steadfastly go on, walking therein with the Lord Jesus as your friend and helper. 
Do not think that the Lord will remove or hinder or alter certain circumstances or associations simply because evil self rises against them. If he were to do so, he would encourage evil in encouraging this self to have its own way. Your old evil self cannot be permitted to conquer and direct the Lord, and it would come to that if he were to order all things to please it. This wisdom that Moore shares here is essentially one of the ways to go about mortifying sin is to look for those areas in our lives where our own selfishness causes us to not want to fulfill certain duties or participate in certain associations or engagements because of our sin and to purposefully go and do those things, to take action and go do the things that our, our sin prevents us from wanting to do or actively makes us not want to do. You could think of examples such as the command for servants to be obedient to their masters that we have in a couple of places in, in Scripture in Ephesians chapter 5 um, where God commands us to, you know, as servants to be faithful and to serve our masters as is fitting unto the Lord and to not do so as people pleasers but with a sincere heart. That can be really hard when your master, your employer, your boss, whoever the case may be, um, is, you know, is um, unkind or difficult to work for. Um, if they're, you know, treating you in a sinful way, that can be very difficult, but we're called to do it anyway. And so, you know, that's just an example where, you know, if you go out and do heed that commandment, it's going to be hard, it's going to be frustrating and stressful, but you, you do it because you know that this is pleasing to God, and this is the way that your new self ought to act. Your old self doesn't want to, but your new self is compelled to. And you know, kind of going to that second paragraph there, the Lord often puts these types of uh, situations in our lives in order for us to be better sanctified or to be more sanctified. We shouldn't expect him to remove certain duties from our lives just because we don't like it. Because then the Lord would be conforming his will to our sinful will. We don't see it that way a lot of times because our, our sin is so powerful within us. We don't like to have to do whatever it is. X. You know, for some people, maybe it's getting up on Sunday morning and going to church. You know, or going to Sunday school, you know, whatever it is, uh, our, our sin makes us not want to do it, but more saying here, no, no, go do it. Discipline yourself and do those things that your, your old self does not like. And that is one of the ways to gain strength against sin in this battle. So I think what he's getting at there is, you know, the action piece of it. We can all probably relate um, to a situation where, you know, oftentimes we feel great anxiety over things uh, that we have to do that are unpleasant, things that we don't want to do, that are going to be hard or we're afraid we're going to fail, and we spend, you know, so much of our time just obsessing over it, thinking about it. We can't, we try to think of other things and our mind continues to come back to that thing that's, that's bothering us. Um, and we just, we can't 
get past it. Um, and then eventually over time what we find is that whenever we finally do take it to God in prayer, whenever we finally do resolve ourselves to take action to, to resolve whatever the issue is, it gets resolved and we feel better and we move on. So that's something we need to keep in mind is not to let ourselves get in that you know, anxious cycle again, but to take these things to the Lord and then take action, you know, discipline ourselves and, and do something about it. I, th- I think that's at least part of what Peter is getting at here in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, where he says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Here Peter gives the the saints a call to action. A call to, to do something, because we know that a lot of times that's really what we need in order to get past this this feeling of discouragement and frustration is to remember our position in Christ, trust upon him, and then go and walk in holiness, walk with Christ. Uh, I found a lot of encouragement there as well in, uh, in what Moore had to say there in, in chapter 6 and 7. Uh, just good reminders of the need to remember uh, that Christ provides our victory over sin. We, we can't obtain that victory without his grace. And then also, it, at some point, it's, it's time to act and time to, to trust in him and move forward and walk in holiness.